So most of you know that I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and this feels like Easter Sunday morning in the Catholic Church when you see all the people who come only once a year to do their Easter duty. Thank you so very much for being here. My last official Sunday service here. Verklempt. Not for the first time this morning. Or not for the last time this morning, I should say. So welcome. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritual-questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather in gratitude on Treaty 6 land. A treaty is an inheritance and a responsibility and a relationship. So may we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards of the earth, and good ancestors for all of our children. I believe there's something planned for afterwards. If if you're new here, uh, feel free to join in and participate. They're very nice folks, but I have not been allowed to know what's going on. As we begin this very special hour, for me anyway, together, I invite you to silence your devices and get ready for uh, a service. The nice thing is, since I'm not beholding right now, I've done uh, a couple little things that are just for me. For instance, all the music this morning, all the recorded music, I chose not because it fits with the theme of the service or because it's great church music, but because I like these songs. And they each come with a story. And so our prelude music is Walk on the Moon by Great Big Sea, which is a love song. But when the moonwalk happened, I was 14 years old, and I was an absolute space nut. I had followed it. So that image of being brave is very important to me. And there's a line in the song, when I was a young person going into college even, I was afraid to fail, I was, and so I didn't try a lot of the time. And there's a line in the song that's always spoken to me about, I won't let this foolish fear get the best of me. And that's how I've lived my life since. So, we begin our service with Walk on the Moon. Finally come to shove The door before me now is open just enough And I'm sick and tired of waiting For dreams that never come And games I never played in But still wish that I had one I'm alive, I've got one shot
before they shivered when they finally touched the ground and the giant leaps so fragile that it hardly made a sound but it must have been amazing what a world they got to see so I don't care my foolish fear won't get the best of me Shot, and I'm taking it to you. I'm alive. I've come to realize not a moment too soon. I'm alive. I've got one shot, and I'm taking it to you. I'm alive. I've come to realize not a moment too soon. That this is my one small step. This is my one small step. I'd like to invite our president, Karen Mills, to come forward and light our chalice and read the chalice lighting words. We light our chalice this morning in the spirit of gratitude, thankful for years of ministerial service to this church, for celebrations of life and death, dedications and blessings, helping us navigate the wonders and stresses of this world, for leading our worship, grounding our congregation in spiritual practice, and helping us make sense of good times and bad. Thank you for being a leader, a comforter, and a friend. Thank you for being our minister. Our first hymn this morning is number 188, Come, Come, Whoever You Are. Three times, yeah. But, and I know I've done this many, many times before, but there, there also is in this song, but there's a drone line that starts from this roomy poem that I think makes the song a little bit richer. And the drone line is, Though you've broken your vows a thousand times. Oh, shit, it's going to be a hard day. (laughs) Can somebody else do the drone for me, please? A thousand times, though you've broken your vows a thousand times. Though you've broken your vows a thousand times. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, ours is no parallel of despair. Come yet again, come. Come, come, whoever. 
whoever you are, wanderer, lover of living, ours is no path, man, I won't despair. Come yet again, come, 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 whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of living, ours is no caravan of despair. Come yet again, come. And I love that drone line because it reminds you the true peace of community is no matter how many times you break faith, there's always a way back in. There's always a chance to reconnect and do it again. Will, are you taking the young people out this morning? I'd like to invite the children to come forward and light their chalice and then we will sing them out. You'll find the words of the children's recessional in your order of service. Each week we take an offering to support the work of this church. This church is entirely self-supporting. If you wish to make a contribution, fantastic. If you wish to make a contribution and get a tax receipt for it, and you're giving cash, you'll find envelopes in the back of your hymn book. But one of the things we also do is remember that a church is not an isolated place, that we live in a wider community. And so we share half of the loose cash that comes in with an outside organization. And for the month of January, we've been collecting for Change for Children, which is a body that uh, works on children's lives around the world. So I invite you to give generously. Now, the second song. I've always loved the rhythm and the message of Bruce Coburn's uh, Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Because, okay, I'm a hopeless romantic. We all know that. But I also love the message... You know, it's always a dangerous time. There's always something going on. Love is always risky. Life is always risky. We're always taking chances. Even when we think we're feeling secure, we're living in a dangerous time. So I love the message of the song. And the version I've chosen is the one by the Bare Naked Ladies that even Bruce Coburn says is probably the best version of the song. (laughs) It has a cello in it. Just gets me going. Don't the hours go shorter as the days go by We never get to stop and open our eyes One minute you're waiting for the sky to fall And next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all Lovers in a dangerous time 
last time These fragile bodies of such antiques This fragrant skin, this hair like lace Spirits open to a thrust of grace Never a breath you can't afford to waste Lovers in a dangerous time Lovers in a dangerous time Lovers in a dangerous time find the response for receiving the offering in your order of service. Thank you for your generosity. To invite you into a time of meditation. So we'll sing Spirit of Life, which is one of the great classic hymns of Unitarianism over the last 30 or 40 years. And then I have a reading to share and a silence, and then there's the music piece. 
And the music in piece is called Something Inside So Strong. And this is a story about how sometimes your subconscious jumps up and bites you. Because I was going through my iTunes playlist and I thought, oh yeah, I really like that song. I'll play it. It's a good, strong anthem and what have you. When all my best thinking happens, I was walking the dogs the other day. And it came to me that I became a minister. I heard my call to ministry, trite as that sounds, on the day of the ordination of my friend and roommate, Mark DeWolf back in 1984. Now, Mark was the first openly gay minister ordained in all of Canada. Any church, any religion, the first openly gay person. And he'd been my roommate for a year. Very special man. Three years later, when I was ordained, Mark preached the ordination sermon. You get to ask whoever you want. And he got out of his sick bed, where he was dying of AIDS, and died about four months later. And then I realized I'd already picked the words by Gordon McKeeman because they're really appropriate to what I want to say today. And I remembered that Gordon McKeeman was Mark's teacher and mentor. And the song that I picked is by The Flirtations. Now, around this time of the AIDS crisis, those of you who are old enough to know it, this group formed, an a cappella group, five guys, you can actually see them if you ever watch the movie Philadelphia. They're in that. Um, and they, they're a doo-wop group. They're an a cappella group. And they, if you listen to their album, they have lots of silly doo-wop songs recast from a gay perspective. So, you know, it's things like housework, housework, you know, things like that. They have great fun. <laughs> but along with that, they did a whole bunch of anthems and strong, powerful songs like Breaths that our choir has sung. And uh, one of the songs that's actually in our hymn book, uh, with the name of which I can't remember right now. Pardon me? Everything Possible. Right in the midst of the AIDS crisis. And I saw this group several times in Vancouver. They came up from the States. Right in the midst of the AIDS crisis, just after Mark had died, this anthem, something so strong. So I'll just let you listen. <laughs> so let's stay seated, please, and sing hymn number 123, Spirit of Life. Ministry is all that we do together. Ministry is that quality of being in community that affirms human dignity, beckons forth hidden possibilities, invites us into deeper, more constant, reverent relationships. Ministry is what we do together as we celebrate the triumphs of our human spirit, miracles of birth and life, wonders of devotion and sacrifice. 
Ministry is what we do together with one another in terror and torment, in grief, in misery and pain, enabling us in the presence of death to say yes to life. We who minister speak and live the best we know with full knowledge that it is never quite enough. And yet we are reassured by lostness found, fragments reunited, wounds healed, and joy shared. Ministry is what we all do together. I invite you into a time of silence. You thought that my pride was gone. Oh, no. 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 Oh, no
Something so strong, it's so It's interesting to me that a piece of music that was written for a very specific time and a very specific context is so applicable across so many causes and so many times in so many different contexts as we see so many violent uh, protests and revolutions, people truly laying their lives on the line right now. We must always remember not to take it. Uh, Here we go. (laughs) So those of you who have read Douglas Adams' 1980s five-book trilogy, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, will probably recognize the sentence, so long and thanks for all the fish. Now for those of you who don't indulge in this quirky science fiction comedy, it's a line quoting dolphins. These sea mammals were apparently a higher intelligence who had come to the planet Earth from another planet. And here's a small section from the series about their departure. Curiously enough, the dolphins had long known of the impending demolition of the Earth in order to construct a hyperspace bypass and had made many attempts to alert mankind to the danger. But most of their communications were misinterpreted as amusing attempts to punch footballs or whistle for tidbits. So they eventually gave up and left the Earth by their own means, shortly before the Vogon constructor ships arrived. The last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a hoop while whistling the star-spangled banner. But in fact, the message was this. So long, and thanks for all the fish. I suppose I wanted to use this title as a silly way to diffuse the emotional drama for me of hanging up my stole after 22 years here and 32 years in ministry. And, oh, by the way, this is the stole my mother bought me for my ordination. But as I reread the passage this week, I realized it was pretty appropriate in another way. My primary job here has been to be a communicator, sometimes clearly, sometimes not so much. I do think you have all been a much more attentive audience than those folks watching The Dolphin Show, and I felt heard most of the time. But in all the roles that I played, communication has been at the core of what I do. Richard Niebuhr, a theologian and trainer of ministers in New York, used to describe the four P's of ministry, preacher, pastor, prophet, and priest. Now, preacher is the obvious enough task, and the attempt to communicate is also obvious, and it's also the way most of you know me best. 
However, folks in my line of work all know that preaching is really a series of dialogues. I bring my words and my ideas, but each of you brings your mood that day, your life story, your immediate cares and concerns. And so each one of you takes in a completely different sermon because your response reshapes my words and my ideas to fit your context. Now, that is a very cool thing. But it has led to the occasional post-sermon coffee chat where I found myself, and all other ministers will say the same thing, where I found myself wondering exactly what someone had heard. Like when they would bring up a reference point that actually wasn't in the sermon. The important thing, though, is that listening to sermons is not a passive experience. It is each one of you who makes the messages spoken in our services come alive when they do. And you have been a wonderful set of listeners. And I thank you. Pastor means someone who cares for the community and tries to be there in times of need. It is a different kind of communication based more on listening than speaking. It wasn't my greatest skill. Perhaps your next minister will be better at tea and chat than I have been. I do like to think that I was pretty useful in times of crisis, however. For someone who loves to talk so much, I did manage to learn occasionally how to keep my mouth shut and listen and just be with folks sometimes at the toughest time of their lives. I hope I was the calm presence when you needed me to be that. Now, prophet, the third role, is not, as the common misconception goes, one who foretells the future. A prophet, in the ancient Hebrew sense, is one who chooses to stand slightly apart and to bring up sometimes difficult truths. A popular UU phrase is one who speaks truth to power. And throughout my career, I tried really hard not to tell the board or the congregation what to do. Mostly I was successful. After all, this community belongs to you, to all of its members, not to me. But sometimes I would ask if this is really something you wanted to do, or did this pending decision fit with your principles and your values? Or, in my professional experience, this strategy was tried elsewhere and failed miserably. You might want to think about that. And sometimes, on Sundays, I did preach political sermons, asking if government actions fit with a decent sense of morality. But I don't think I ranted or railed too often. Ranting might feel good and be satisfying, but it's not often very effective. Asking tough questions in ways that they might be heard is the most effective communication style of the prophet. And finally, there's the priest. In this role, the minister, well, ministers. This refers to the leading of ritual or services like Blue Christmas and rites of passage like the child dedications we did a couple of weeks ago. Effective rituals create same space, safe space that are based on trust. 
The community has to trust the leader to handle them gently as they go to some pretty tender places. I have loved this kind of communication. It has been immensely satisfying. At its best, it's actually mostly nonverbal, which is kind of fun. It's about silence and movement and things like candles and creating space to allow whatever needs to happen to happen. And it's been a privilege to lead those in this community. So when you all finally enter the search process in a year or so, you will have to weight those four Ps in deciding what's most important to you and maybe what's not so critical. I have to warn you, I haven't seen many colleagues who are truly excellent at all four, so you're going to have to make choices. Now, in all these roles, my job is to try and define and communicate and perhaps embody the core values of Unitarian Universalism, not in a scolding manner, but hopefully in an inviting way. My job is to make this church available and comfortable. If we could do that, then we could create conditions for personal growth and mutual support. My role has been to invite, not invade, to remove barriers instead of building walls. And maybe from time to time, I got to push you a little here and there. But a longstanding definition of ministry is, after all, one who comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. (laughs) And part of those roles was trying to build a sense of community, not by preaching it, but by trying to exemplify it. When it comes to the work of church, the everyday work of church, I have long been inspired by Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer. Tom has been handed the hateful task of whitewashing the very long fence where he lives. He loathes painting. He loathes all work. So facing this daunting task, he went out and got several brushes and buckets. And then he set to work whistling and laughing like it was the best, most fun thing he had ever done. And soon his friends started dropping by and asking if they could join in the fun. And before long, he'd handed out all the brushes and all the buckets, and the fence was being painted, and he was sitting under a tree whistling. Unlike Tom, I hope that I did not go off and sit under a shady tree while you did all the work. But when it comes to church work, I've done my best to try and make it fun, a a pleasant experience, something that leaves folks feeling like they've helped and they're valued and we're appreciated for doing so. After all, who really wants to be a volunteer when it's not going to be fun and when no one is going to work with you? I think this strategy helps build community, too. I spoke last week about how this congregation has experienced far less serious conflict than most. I said, and I, do you know, this congregation has been around for 66 years. It has only had eight ministers. Two of those were interims who were there for only a year. So really, six ministers over 66 years. Folks, that's a stable community. (laughs) Believe me, that's beating all the averages, right, Joan? We have CUCs. uh, Joan is here today, so yeah, nobody else does that. I said then, and I believe that there is a longstanding ethos in this community that bends towards managing potential strife in sensible and compassionate ways. And you're going to need to summon that up over the next year or two. 
But I stand by it. And my job was to support that ethos and maybe remind you that it exists. If I had any positive impact, it wasn't in getting too fussed when somebody came up to me with some anxious concern. Most times, those things could be talked through with good listening and compassionate speaking. We're going back to Douglas Adams. The cover of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy features a big red button and the words underneath it saying, Don't panic. Arthur C. Clarke thought that was the best advice any writer could give humanity. And I think one of my strengths was my ability to hit that red button when needed. Somewhere along the way in these two decades, I've been ascribed personal power that I never thought I had and never sought. In fact, I actually find it amusing when people say, you get to make all the decisions, right? No, no, thank you, thank you. In fact, uh, when accused of having power, I try to remind people that the church belongs to them, not to me or any minister. And I recall getting a little bit upset once, many years ago, when we purchased this building. The congregation, the congregation had decided to move not very long after I started here. And my job then became to help make that happen, to be a cheerleader, to do as much as I could to make that goal the church had decided on come to pass. But one member, not so certain about this particular course of action, suggested, well, you're finally getting your building. I never wanted a building project. I came from a congregation that meant it a beer-smelling rental hall. My office was a corner of my spare bedroom. When I came to Edmonton, I was thrilled to have the first ever real-life office in my whole life. I didn't want to build a new one. I liked the old one. (laughs) The last thing that I envisioned was a building campaign with its fundraising and its organizing and supporting of leaders and eventually actually getting down and dirty and helping renovate this place. Yikes, who wants the extra work? This is your church, not my church. But I felt privileged to work here. And it was work that I was given by you. And more importantly, it was the work of community building that I had signed up for. I love this church facility, and I have wonderful memories of the renovations and many of the events that have happened here over the years, but it wasn't ever a dream of mine. I did not have what has been commonly called an edifice complex. (laughs) And then there is the Sunday morning part of all of this. Now that I'm leaving... I finally feel it's safe to say out loud and in public what I've told some friends privately over many years. Sunday mornings at the party would have done for free. If some future scholar ever has the unenviable task of searching for some consistency in my thousand or so sermons, here are the few simple messages in short form that I hope they will find, the Coles notes. First, community. That's what brought me into the Unitarian Church when I was lost and feeling alone. It was the community that I found in a congregation. Nothing matters more than creating a place where people can be recharged, celebrated when things go well, held and comforted during the tough times, and always, always be reminded that you are each a person of inherent worth and dignity.
We come together to play, to worship, to ponder, to grieve, to celebrate mystery, and to do the garage sale. (laughs) The first job of a community like ours is to remember to honor the community that drew us in here in the first place. Second, principles. Our faith gives us seven principles and six sources. Principles your earlier generation created back in the 1980s. In addition, we have our congregational vision statement. And these aren't creeds or rules. They are guidelines to help us make decisions about how to live. No one in the UU world can tell you how to think or what to believe. That's completely up to you. But these principles and vision thoughts can help you when you are wrestling with your conscience and struggling with tough decisions. Use them, not as a cudgel against others, but as a tool for your own growth and insight. Third, live your faith. Take what you find here, be it good ideas, good feelings, compassion, plain old passion for justice. Take what you find here and live it every day in some way out there. Come here to recharge and then go take it out again. Each one of you makes a difference in the world just by living well, by living ethically, and living morally. You don't have to be on the steps of the ledge making speeches. You don't have to be inventing the next penicillin vaccine. You just have to live morally and ethically out there. Live your faith. So that's pretty much it. Look through those boxes of sermons, God help you, and you will find these messages repeated often in, many ways, in as many different ways as my creativity would allow. Unitarian Universalism isn't hard, my friends. It just takes some loving and some living. I want to finish with a statement of gratitude and a confession. The confession is that in 1997, Edmonton wasn't really at all the place I wanted to come and live. And at the time, I actually had another congregation offered to me as well. But when I read your search materials, and met with your search committee, that maturity of leadership that I was talking about came through in spades. The strength of this community, the, the welcoming, caring nature of this community just sang. They won me over and made me make a decision I didn't want to make, but one that I have never for a moment regretted. Okay, maybe just that one moment when I discovered I had a building project to to be involved (laughs) with. The fact is, Edmonton is now my home, and I can't imagine ever leaving. I want to give you a special thanks for the way you as a congregation permitted me to work for the Canadian Unitarian Council for six years, and then for the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists for seven You gave me time and space to do that work. And I like to think that the lessons I learned in that work were of use here as well. I want to thank you for keeping me for 22 years through all the changes in my sometimes colorful life and always welcoming my family. I retire from active ministry believing I could not have been more fortunate than when I was asked to apply my trade at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. So long. Thanks for all the fish, and 
Don't panic. One of my favorite hymns about ministry is number 298, Wake Now My Senses, 298. I'd like to invite Karen Mills up now to help lead us in a decommissioning ritual. It's now time for us formally to let go of one another. In our free churches, there is perhaps no bond more sacred than the bond between a minister and the congregation that has chosen him to serve them. This is because a minister's power and authority come not from on high, but from the hearts and minds of those they serve. The installation service is a way of marking and recognizing the beginning of that relationship, so it's only right and fitting that we have a ceremony to recognize its ending. So please stand and look to the words that are in your order of service. You have offered me your free pulpit. I hereby return the ministry of worship to your able hands. Use it to speak the truth in love to one another. May this loving truth be a source of joy and gladness for you. We thank you for your service in our pulpit. We accept this power of freedom for ourselves and release you from your service as worship leader. You have welcomed me into the transitional moments of your lives. I hereby return the ministry of pastoral care to your hands. 
Use it to comfort and to celebrate the milestones of your lives with compassion and care. We thank you for the care you have offered us. We accept its power of compassion for ourselves and release you from your service as pastoral caregiver. I release you from our covenant with one another. Go your way in peace, truth, and love. We release you from our covenant Our chalice is extinguished, but its light lives on, as I've been saying for the last 22 years, in the minds and the hearts of each one of you. So carry it with you, out there. Carry that flame with you and share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially with those you have yet to meet. I invite you to stand again. Join hands. We'll sing, Carry the Flame of Peace and Love, And then I'm no longer in charge and don't know what's happening.